How do you measure yourself with other golfers? By height. It's a very, very special honor. I'm Paula Creamer, and you're listening. Well, we're waiting. Hi, this is Martin Cove, a.k.a. John Kreese from Cobra Kai, and you're listening to Golf Talk Live. Let the word go out from here across the land. Let Daddy Noonan uh, approve. Hey, this is Shooter McGavin. You're listening to the 19th Hole Podcast. And welcome, fans of golf, to another episode of Golf Talk Live's 19th Hole Podcast. I am Alan DePew, your host, and as always, joined by our panel of uh, illustrious experts in the business, as I like to call them. I got Brendan Elliott of Little Linksters. Hola, Brendan. Good, good evening, gentlemen. Hello, sir. I have Bobby Baldessari of Reimagine Golf. It's a working good night. Always is. We're recording on uh, Tuesday evening for our show release on on Wednesday, and Andy Hyde during a sports box. Andy, how are you? I'm good. I'm I'm uh, mobile tonight, so uh, happy to join from the road. Well, it's funny you say that because I'm in the uh, uh, unofficial sponsored Mavis uh, or Avis uh, Mobile Command Center myself. So. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, hey, rounding out our panel, uh, we have a special guest with us. Andy, would you like to do the honors? Sure. Um, I want to welcome Mr. Austin Eaton to our podcast tonight, um, otherwise known as Ace, and I'm going to call him Ace because I know him as Ace, but um, Ace and I have been friends for a long time, um, played a lot of golf together as kids, um, and just he's a great guest for us because ace had a, a few years in his golf career that were just an unbelievable experience an unbelievable accomplishment um and we'll get into that a little bit later but um just to to kind of tee it up a little bit um ace won no the no, no pun intended yeah ace won the 2004 united states mid-amateur championship um, which opened the doors for some of these awesome experiences. And we'll, uh, we'll dig into that a little bit. So welcome, Ace. Thanks, guys. Andy, it's a pleasure to be on here. And, and uh, try not to ask me too many hard questions. I, I'm, I'm at the end of a long day, and, and my mental capacity may be reduced even further than usual. <laughs> I'm pretty, sure you, I'm pretty right. sure you won't have a problem talking about some of these things we're going to ask you about. <laughs> I was say, that, fits, that, fits, that fits in perfectly with our mindset every week, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, before we dive into that, I got to tell you, the mobile studio here that I'm in, it is actually sitting in the villages. And guys, first time I've actually been here visiting, visiting family members. It is insane the number of golf carts zipping around here, as well as golf courses have you have you guys been up here bobby i, I know you had to uh, uh brendan actually i think your your parents live up there yeah correct? my parents live there so i'm up there quite a bit um played several of the courses the executive courses even are really good but the the palmer course uh lopez course a lot of good golf up there for sure yeah i've been through there once and there's just it's an incredible spot i mean incredible what's happened there incredible the build out uh, the growth and uh, incredible stories that come out of there here, Alan. So you should have a good time. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're undercover. You're like a, you're like the host recorder. That's uh, 
covertly going undercover. Yeah, okay. we're gonna keep this clean. <laughs> <laughs> You're baiting me, Bobby. Swinging, swinging, swinging seniors has a whole different level of on, on, on up here at this place. Anyway, moving on. Andy, let's go right to our. Let's go. This is your part of the show, Andy. Let's go right to our live golf report. Nino Pereira. Of course, and that's the only news this week, um, as far as I know, anyway. But I it think, is, yeah. I think in general, there's there's on the live side, um, a little bit of a deflation of of air in the balloon, in the sense that this is all they got is Mito, right? I mean, I think they were really looking forward to, at the beginning of the year, some more really key signings. Um, and it appears that now don't get me wrong, Mito's a great young player. I mean, but, he's number number forty four in the in the world. I mean, he's a right. he's a player. But it's just one guy, and it's you know, it is what it is. I think uh, I think they were expecting more. They haven't even really um, announced their full schedule for the year, which I think is somewhat of a of a kind of a strange thing. Um, but yeah, that's. I think it's it's uh, not a great beginning to the season for Liv. It appears. No, they were throwing names around like Cam Young, I heard, and a couple others. So, so we'll see. We'll see how the twenty three pans out for them. Uh, on another podcast, uh, who will remain nameless uh, for play, um, they were talking about the fact that we're seeing this division. It's it's largely international versus. Uh, of the American players, and yet, m- at least the ones that are event- announced so far, I believe, are only the American sites, right? Or have I missed that one, Bobby? No, I think you've got. Uh, there's one in Mexico, I believe, um, but it's probably more heavily to the American side. Yeah. And, and Austin, feel free to, to, to chime in on this, on your live opinion, because Andy's really passionate about this. He is <laughs> all he is all in the live camp. I'll tell you, I think it's unfortunate. You know, these guys are going to grab the money and I can't really blame them. But uh, it's it's not good for us, the golf fan. I think mm-hmm. that it, it's not necessarily sustainable the way it is right now. Um, they're going to keep throwing money at it, but how long? And then if and when it does crumble, where do these guys go? I, I, I feel um, a little cheated by the fact that they're not going to be visible to those of us who really care about golf, because I can't imagine who's tuning into those telecasts if they can even find them. And then who's, who's going to go? Go to a MAGA rally? Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, others. I mean, we're we're going to hear more about you know. You, obviously, your victory got you into Augusta, but really, there's only I think there's what three guys. Bobby, our our resident historian, only three guys that are on live. Uh, Bubba, Phil, and somebody else that are Sergio. Right. That are getting down invited down to Augusta Lane or Magnolia Drive. It, each year. I think so, it's a lot of guys. I think it's I think it's a lot of guys. Yeah. It'll it'll diminish. Yeah. But for now it's a it's a whole bunch of guys. I think it may be eleven or twelve. 
Is there that many? DJ. Yeah, because yeah, Cam Smith. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. I forgot about. D- well, okay, but Cam, but but Cam Smith. Okay, where I was trying to go with this is the is the the invites perpetual invites for for Augusta as opposed to uh, Cam Smith who has an invite for the next five years. Well, Patrick less- Reed, DJ. Oh, Patrick yeah. Reed's another whole topic. I was going to say hashtag don't be get that guy right there. I mean, That's he's suing CNN. He's suing CNN now. Yeah, four fifty. Uh, yeah, don't say. Andy, do not say anything negative against Patrick Reed. Our <laughs> our insurance co- is not going to cover four hundred million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> just hey, telling you right there. I'm just we'll telling just, you right we'll there. Just re- we'll rebrand as Twentieth Hole Live. We'll be all good. <laughs> we we got to let Ace know that uh, if he sees Andy leaning in, that means he's got the great point. We talk live, he leans in, but I'm worried, Andy. If you lean in, the airbag's going to go off. <laughs> we're all safe bobby we're all safe <laughs> all right so just to conclude live andy any thoughts no i just i just think it's off to a puffy start so far it's a good technical term i really appreciate that yep, no problem <laughs> insider term Andy, take it away. Okay, so, um, you know, Ace, I have a bunch of questions for you. And, and really, um, I want to just throw a couple topics out and let you kind of riff on some of this stuff. Because, I, I mean, we've been friends for a long time and I've, I've heard these stories and I love to tell other people these stories and other people appreciate them as much as I do but um it's it's great and and as your friend when I went to Augusta and watched you there it was one of the greatest experiences I I ever had in the game of golf um and and the number one thing really that I first want to get at for you is you're always a good player um but you turn the corner and you turn the corner big so if you wouldn't mind kind of telling our listeners a little bit about what happened that made you go from a good player to really one of the best amateur players in the game. It's hard to, it's hard to really pinpoint it other than repetitions in good competition with good players on good golf courses over and over and over. Um, I played college golf. I played at university of New Hampshire the true golf powerhouse. And, uh, you know, I didn't really know how to play the game. I just was hitting a golf ball and hopefully getting in the hole. I won one college golf tournament. And, you know, today I probably wouldn't have even sniffed being in some of those golf tournaments. So um, it took a lot of time just being around golf and investing myself in the process and, you know, just fighting for it. I, I love competitive golf. I played a lot of competitive golf in my 20s. And uh, I was lucky enough to play against some really good players, played a lot in, in New England and then moved to Virginia, was in the golf business for a while in Virginia and, uh, and played a bunch of their events. Great competition, great guys uh, and, and good venues. And then went to the metropolitan New York area 
where I think it really all kind of came together. I'd already made the, the semifinals of the Virginia AM and the quarters there. So I'd kind of gotten my, my game together, but then going to the metropolitan area, we were playing, you know, wing foot and Quaker Ridge and, and garden city and a, and a bunch of great, great golf courses on a weekly basis. Um, and you get better playing against real good players on really good golf courses. And I think that was the real key to it. And I realized that these guys who have won big events, whether it's George Zaringer or, um, you know, Jeff Thomas, who won the, the U.S. Mid-Amateur, is unfortunately no longer with us, um, and Kenny Baxt, and, and a few of those other guys who won national events, I could hold my own with them. And I realized that when I got into the big events, if I can beat those guys, I can beat anybody. I may not beat everybody that week, but I can beat anybody that week. And that was the mentality that I had. That's awesome. So one of the one of my favorite stories that you ever told me <laughs> involved, this was before you won the, the U.S. Mid-Am. It was maybe a year or two before. It involved a match with the uh, illustrious Chip Keeney. Oh. Um, so so you got you to tell our listeners about the story with the, with the you know, the gimme putt. Um, you know, for one reason or another, Tripp and I were never best buddies. Um, he was, he was a heck of a player and still is a heck of a player. Uh, but I don't know why, but we were never best buddies. And, uh, most of it was because he didn't know who the hell I was, but, uh, I was an alternate to get into the 2002 U.S. Mid-Am at, uh, Stanwich, which was right around the corner from where I was living in Stanford, Connecticut. So it was easy for me. They called me on a Monday or Tuesday, I think, and said, when can you be here? here? And I said, how about 15 minutes? So I uh, got right in the car, got down there. I think it was my third round match against Trip, and I had played very well. Uh, but he's Trip freaking Keeney, and I was who knows who. Um, and so I got off to a really hot start, made everything I looked at. It was kind of stupid. And he's shaking his head as I'm making 20, 30, 40 footers. And we get, I think I'm four up through 10. We're on the 11th hole. And he's got a two and a half, three foot outside the cup putt. And the key is sandwiches greens are just, there's not a straight putt out there. And so this is outside the hole. And I think he can at any point go on a five birdie run. So I'm not giving him anything. And so he makes the putt and he brushes by me on the green at the end of the, uh, right after the, right after that putt goes in. And almost bumps into me. And he just looks at me and goes, hey, mighty nice of you there, parts," and keeps walking. And uh, and I walked over to the next tee with my caddy. I'm like, F this guy. Let's go. <laughs> and uh, and so luckily I played well going in from there and ended up beating him. And I lost to George Zaringer the next round and he ended up winning the thing. But that was that was a moment where I realized that uh, I had I had a lot of what it took to play really well in match play. Yeah, you, our listeners don't know this, but Ace is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. And one of the coolest parts of that story, he would never have let Trip know how he was feeling on the inside. He was only giving him the the Mr. Nice Guy. I'm not going to say act, because that's who you are, but but behavior. And I think that's so cool that he got all bent out of shape about that. You know, I, I knew that 
he was a more accomplished player than I was. And I needed to keep the hammer down. And part of that is not giving any quarter. And, you know, he was going to make that putt most of the time, but I, I just didn't, I didn't feel like I needed to give it to him. Yeah, and he loved awesome. it. That's the beauty so, of the, but well, the beauty of match play, right? Ace is, you know, if you're playing stroke play, that's one thing you're a little bit few, few shots ahead, but um, that's where the listeners um, to really play, you really play in the spirit of match play. And you mm-hmm. see it on Ryder Cup, this Seve Ballesteros stories and this and that. Um, that can get your juices going. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I've never been one to, to, to partake in any gamesmanship. But I'm also going to make you putt something if I think that, that there's a chance you're going to miss it in a, in a situation like that. And if you got a problem That's with it, awesome. if you got a problem with it, then you probably shouldn't get the putt anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, so let's move to 2004, um, Sea Island, right? Um, yeah. Talk us through how that week started, all the way through to how it finished. Well, one of the cool things about that week is that my wife was caddying for me. We were we'd been married less than a year, uh, just about a year at that point, and uh, the two of us traveled there from uh, our home in New Hampshire. And got a hotel room for the first couple of nights. And then a buddy of mine who had a family home or cousin's place on the island said, why don't you stay with us? And he was playing in the, in the tournament as well. And so um, the, the setup was really comfortable for all of the stroke play and the match play. We had our own place. We had a fridge. We didn't really need to, um, you know, live out of a suitcase. It was, it was pretty nice that way. I love that venue. Sea Island is so cool. Great place, great practice facility, two good golf courses. Uh, the Seaside golf course is just so much fun. Um, and I had it that week. I just, I hit the ball as well as maybe I ever have for a full week. I had real good control of the golf ball. I was just hitting it down a right rough line with my driver all, all week and just bringing it right into the middle of the fairway and, and, my irons were dialed in. I actually, if I missed a green, I wasn't all that good. Uh, my, my short game wasn't all that good that week. Um, but from, from a driving and an iron standpoint and then making putts, I was, I was right on. Played some good players. Um, had a, I think my first round was, went to 18, made a birdie on 18. And then I, I had a second or third round match where I went 23 holes. And in extra holes, I three-putted. Wow. Uh, and the guy left me off the hook. So uh, Barry Fabian is his name, uh, former mini tour yep. player. And uh, Lake, Lake Forest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he let me off the hook. I could have been done right there. I think it was the second round, uh, may have been the third. But then I played Jeff Wilson later um, in the quarters. And Jeff was, was a medalist and has, is, is just an incredibly accomplished player. Good guy. And uh, I just played my absolute best and, and beat him. Beat uh, Tim Hogarth on the way as well, who was also a USGA championship, uh, USGA champion. Um, he won the public links, I believe. Um, and then uh, Wright Waddell, great guy from Georgia, uh, true gentleman, uh, played him in the semis. And that's when it started to blow. So the first, first three or four rounds, it was really calm and the scores were low. And then it, it started to blow pretty hard on in the uh in the semis and uh that's when i played my best golf uh and and 
got past him, played really well, and then in the finals was was a different story. Played a guy named Josh Dennis in the finals, uh, who hasn't really played much since and didn't play a lot of competitive golf before that. He, uh, young guy from Alabama, um, he was a good solid player and just kept the pressure on me. But I played really good in the front nine, and then we had lunch. Uh, front, excuse me, front eighteen, first eighteen, and, and uh, I think I was four up through seventeen. Missed a short one on on eighteen, and then I'm still three up going into the second eighteen. And, Suddenly, it dawned on me that I was I was about to uh, I was nearly there at my goal to be able to play in the Masters and, and win a USGA Championship, and I freaking panicked. <laughs> <laughs> and I was uh, I was one down through twenty eight holes. Um, so he had he had caught four up on me there, and I was just I was awful, absolutely awful. And somehow I was able to flip the switch and. On the the uh, the twelfth hole there, which is a great par three, um, I hit a two iron to about eight feet and made that and turned the whole match around and played well from there and and won on thirty six. So thirty six holes at about twenty feet to uh, two putt. I knew I, he had already made bogey. So if I two putted from twenty feet, it was it was time to go. I actually I was standing over the putt trying to gather myself and get ready. And then there's this voice in the back of my head saying, okay, two putts, you go play in the masters. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop that. And I went back, regrouped and um, started my routine all over again, just with a target and with a pace in mind and hit it down to about 18 inches and, and, uh, and won the match. So, but you know, those thoughts are hard to keep out of your head. Oh yeah. So let, let's skip over for now the masters and let's go because you you qualified for the 2005 masters um but let's go to that summer um marion u.s amateur you're 35 years old at the time uh 36 36 years old at the time um i think what what you did at sea island was incredible what you did at marion was even more incredible in my opinion so talk to just run through quickly the players that you played through that well, week first, US first of all i really do like recounting this but it feels a little weird having you stroke me like this <laughs> <laughs> good, good enough <laughs> so normally you're giving me a lot more trouble than this uh but yeah. um it was a it was a really cool week. Marion's just unbelievable. I think you played in the U.S. Am at Marion, right? I did. Yeah, a few years before that one. Eighty nine. Eighty nine. Yep. Yeah. Um, so the the week was unbelievable. I played really really well in the, in the qualifier, um, and so in the in the stroke play portion of it, um, I think I ended up sixth seed, ninth seed, something like that. But I ended up playing the number one, two, and three ranked amateurs in the world at the time in the first, third, and fourth rounds of the, of the event. Um, so I played Pablo Martin in the first round. And Pablo at that point was at Oklahoma State and number one ranked amateur in the world. And, and I had people coming up to me when the draw was announced just going, dude, sorry, I, that's too bad. I know you're playing well. That's really, that sucks. And I had an attitude at that point where I was like, yeah, it's, it's too bad, but 
let's see what he got. And, and, uh, the golf course was playing so hard that I knew that I was going to be okay because hard golf courses are where I, where I really thrive. I, I, I'm not a guy, I don't, I've never scored below. I think I've scored below 65 once in my life, but you put me on a golf course where par is good and I'm tough. And so I beat Pablo in the first round. Um, I think it was on 15. Yeah. He hit, he hit a ball OB on 15, the, the dog like right. And uh, that was the end of it. Um, and then uh, second round played a guy named Stevie Hahn, who was at UNLV, who ended up playing on the, on the nationwide tour at the time for a couple of years. Uh, but I don't think he's playing professionally anymore. Um, and had a good match with him. Nice kid played well. Uh, and then the third round was, um, was Reese Davies. Reese has won a couple times on the European tour. And, and at that point was number two ranked amateur in the world and was at East Carolina, I think it was, um, but really good guy. And uh, he was a Walker Cupper for, uh, for GBNI. Uh, and we went to 18 and I, I ended up beating him there. So to give you an idea of how hard the golf course was, those rounds, the second and third rounds, I made one birdie in 36 holes and won both matches. Um, which is unheard of these days. I don't know mm -hmm. whether it's the, the talent, the depth, the, 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 the equipment, whatever it is, but you got to make a shit ton of birdies. Sorry if I don't. I mean, is this a clean podcast? or am I okay PG-13, NC-17. No, we're, okay. we're dirty. We're dirty. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, you got to make a ton of birdies, uh, even if you're playing Oakmont right now um, in the USAM. So it was a different animal. Um, I woke up the next morning. Well, after, after I won that match, I knew I had an interesting one. Uh, I had Anthony Kim in the quarters. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, I had played with him before. Um, and I knew he was just an amazing talent. Uh, and he uh, he did not have control of his driver that week. So he hit a lot of two irons. And I remember watching the telecast afterwards. And uh, Roger Maltby's talking about how you can't you can't get around this golf course just hitting two irons the way it was. And sure enough, I had an advantage, but I also had some luck um, on the the ninth hole, excuse me, 10th hole, which is dog leg left up the hill, really short hole. He makes a two there. He knocks it in from about 50 yards. Um, and now I'm I think I was one down at the time. Um, so I go to go to two down and uh, on 11, which is just an amazing hole. 11 is, is down. It's, it's where Bobby Jones won his, his grand slam. And uh, I hit it in the left bunker and he hits the green in two. So I've got, and the pin is back left and I've got no chance, absolutely no chance. So I try to hit this bunker shot as high and soft as I can catch as little sand as possible. And I hit it right in the forehead. It, it, it would have gone, there are houses on the other side of the Creek on the <laughs> other side of the green up the hill. If you've played Marion, there are houses up there. I would have hit one if it hadn't hit the bank and popped straight up in the air and dropped eight feet from the hole. Wow. <laughs> he, then, he then has to, he then has to putt and he's got 25 feet for birdie. 
And all he needs to do probably in his mind is just get it somewhere near the hole. He hits it six feet by. I make my putt. He misses. I'm now only one down. And then I birdie the next hole up the hill. And he's just looking at me like, what is going on here? And uh, that really, really, really rattled him. I won on 16. Um, so I won the rest of the holes, I think. Um, I won on 16. And he was pretty freaked out or pretty upset um, and didn't give me the warmest handshake. Let's just say that. I've, I've rooted for him ever since, and I wish we could have seen more Anthony Kim because he was an amazing talent. But it's also nice to, to know that uh, that I got the better of him. <laughs> That's awesome. The, and then in the last in the last round, I or in the in the semis um, was another one of those moments where I realized that I was maybe in over my head and played Eduardo Molinari and oh, gave wow. him a real good head start. I think I shot about 40 on the front nine and, and uh, fought back and took it to 17 on 17, um, which is just an amazing par three, the quarry hole. So hard. It's such incredible, incredible. And so I've got the T because I'd won 15 or 16 and I hit, I hit two iron to about eight feet. Um, Maybe 10 feet. It's just onto the right fringe because the pin was back right. And he hits two iron to about five feet. And I was two down at the time. I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is a problem. And um, he ended up, um, I guess I conceded, I conceded his, uh, his par putt. Um, I forget how it went, but he, he won, he won the match two and one. And uh, I was super glad to have, have had the opportunity, but he was a class player and, and uh, would have been great to beat him, but I didn't have it in me that, that day. I went to the USGA Museum in Far Hills a few years later, and every USGA champion donates a club from their USGA championship. And he donated that two iron and said it was the best shot of his life. So it was really neat to have that in there, um, just knowing that it, even though I didn't get it done, it took his best shot to, to, to uh, beat me in the end. It was kind of cool. Yeah. That run you had there is absolutely incredible. I mean, like those like, names, it's, it's crazy. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, and it's unbelievable. Every year I watch the USAM and, and uh, I got to say, whoever says that your, your records are made to be broken is lying to themselves a little bit. Um, I, I like Stu Hagestad. Uh, I've played with him. Good guy. But there's part of me that says, um, I want to be the last guy who was a mid-am to make the semis in the USAM. And he's knocked on the door a couple times. He has not made the semis. Um, and there's a little part of me that likes having that record. That's incredible. So let's, let's turn the clock back two months earlier and let's talk about a little second week in April at uh, Augusta National. Um, so I think it'd be really cool if you took us through kind of just briefly Sunday through Saturday. I, I feel like I'm talking a lot, but I guess that's why I'm the guest on the podcast. Um, You're the uh, guest. Well, actually, I want to yep. jump in real quick before we yeah. get into the Augusta stuff. I'm a huge yeah. master's junkie, as these guys know. 
But one of the things that I found fascinating, especially I, I teach juniors or I, I do private coaching with a lot of teenagers and guests like you are really the ones that I want my, my juniors to to listen to and pay attention to and hear these stories because, you know, the end all be all for a lot of these kids that want to play at the next level is always the PGA tour or some level of professional golf, but it does not have to be that way. And you can play amazing venues. You can play in amazing events with great players and find your way like you did in, into a major championship. And uh, I just love hearing stories. I have a, a close friend that played, on the U.S. Open at Shinnecock, uh, he played in one PGA Tour event. But every time that he tells those stories of those experiences to my juniors, I mean, they're just all ears. They're in listening to it. And they need to be exposed to the world of amateur golf, high-level amateur golf, because it's just it's fascinating. So with that, I'll let you get into the experience that you got to gain through all your, your amateur success. Well, I, you know, I love that you made that point, Brendan. Um, it, there were plenty of times when I was asked why I hadn't turned pro and why I hadn't tried to play professionally. And, uh, in my heart of hearts, I knew I didn't have the talent to be a star. I knew I didn't have the talent to be more than a journeyman at, at best, whether it was at the time, um, nationwide tour or, you know, one of the mini tours trying to bang my head against a wall, traveling and living it out of a suitcase. I realized that here I am playing some of the best golf courses in the country as an amateur mm -hmm. and I get to enjoy the game as a game uh, right. and, and as a challenge rather than as a job. And so I, I love that you're talking to your students about that because there are so many doors that can be opened by involvement in this game. It's, it's, it, it'll blow your mind. Yeah. And if you go about it the right way and, and, and carry yourself as a gentleman and play good golf and, and learn from the game, you can meet some people that can open all sorts of other non-golf doors for you as well. So uh, I, I love that you're saying that. And I love that, that uh, the kids have an opportunity to, to have their eyes opened to more of the opportunities that, that golf can bring. And, and it's, it's, I will add to that it's way more glamorous to, to go the track that you ran on in amateur golf than it is what 95% of people play professional golf to. I mean, like you said, the, the quality of the golf courses, the quality of the people that you meet, it's just, it's just amateur golf is a real treat. No doubt. No doubt. It's, you know, you got to kind of pinch yourself when you when you get an invitation to play Pine Valley every year or, or you know, even if you don't get to that level, you, you have the ability to play on some of the best golf courses in your state in the state am. Or, you know, if you end up being a low single digit handicapper, you're probably going to get invited to the, the, the best member guests in your area for the rest of your life. So there are many different levels of of ability to, to, to walk in circles that a lot of other people who don't play golf have no idea they can do. Okay. Let's go Augusta. Sorry. Sunday, <laughs> Sunday, Sunday. Yeah. Arrival day. So, um, 
I, first of all, back then you could go as many times as you wanted for practice rounds. So I got nine rounds in before uh, tournament week. And that was pretty cool. That's awesome. I went, I went three different weekends um, and it's pretty wild. You get your invitation. <laughs> I've got it on my wall over here. Um, you get your invitation and you can go as often as you want. There were guys who were getting apartments nearby. They've since cut that <laughs> practice because they realized that, you know, people were abusing it. Now you get five days on property before, uh, before the tournament. I, I got, I got nine days on property beforehand. And there were some guys who got 15, 20. Um, so that, I was pretty familiar with days, the place. Does the nine days include the week of the tournament? No, that was before the week. Okay. So it doesn't include like Sunday, Monday. No, I got, I got nine days before I arrived tournament week, which was great because living in New Hampshire at the time, um, I, I needed to get out of the snow. So I, I made three trips down there. I, I played a couple different tournaments throughout the winter and, and tried to have my game fairly sharp. And so every other weekend, all winter, I was, I was either at Augusta or at a tournament or practicing somewhere. So definitely ran up the credit card bills that winter. Um, arrived. So my dad caddied for me in the masters, which is what I tell people most of the time. The first thing I say, when somebody says, how was it? I said, well, you know, it was super special because my dad caddied for me. He taught me the game. Um, Andy might tell people that he taught me the game, but he didn't. It was my dad. Uh, but, but, uh, so he taught me the game and I played a lot of golf with him, like a lot of golf with him over the years. And so I had the privilege of, of being able to have him on the bag the whole week. And he was understandably chomping at the bit. Uh, come Sunday morning, we can go check in. He arrived on Saturday night. Uh, so did so did my wife and I. And, and we were staying um, at a hotel away from the away from the club. Um, but uh, we went over there and, and first thing Sunday morning, the, the first bib is the defending champ. The second bib so they run down the order. I was bib number three. So somebody somehow beat, beat me there. I'm not sure how, um, but uh, that was pretty cool. Played my practice round with John Daly that day. Um, God. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty wild. <laughs> he walked up to me on the practice screen. And, goes, and I was supposed to play with Jerry Kelly because I'd played a little golf against Jerry Kelly and I had some mutual friends with him. So, I, so Jerry and I were supposed to play at like 1030. Well, uh, JD walks up to me on the practice uh, green at maybe nine o'clock they goes hey man you want to go play i'm like yep i just big time jerry kelly see ya um and and so it was just it was just me and jd and our caddies and we had the greatest time his caddy dropped more f-bombs in four hours than i've ever heard a human it was incredible um that was just one of the highlights but um what a talented player what a good guy um his hands, I'll tell you, he had won the previous year. Um, so his game was in really good shape. And that was the time when he had really worked on his wedge game. And I'll tell you, the, the, the shots he could hit, every swing looks the same. It's this long looping swing. Every swing looks the same. And he can hit six trajectories, like high, low, right, left, straight, anything you want from the same looking golf swing. You know how normally you can tell when somebody's trying to hit a cut. You couldn't tell. You just watched the golf ball and you could see what he was trying to do. But there was no effort, or at least it didn't look like there was any effort other than where his club face was at impact in order to, to make all that happen. It was really cool. 
Uh, played a practice round on Tuesday, on Monday with David Toms, who was another one of those uh, just one-on-one days because the, that was the sun, uh, the Monday when, when Atlanta um, had been delayed on Sunday and, and all the players hadn't gotten in from Atlanta because I think they had a, they had a weather delay on Sunday. And, and so David Toms and I went out and played. We had a mutual friend, so we, uh, we got out there. That was probably most, my most enjoyable practice round. We talked about all sorts of stuff how to hit shots under pressure, uh, what you're thinking, kind of helping me around the place because he'd played there a few times. It was just a great round. Just one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Um, So that was cool. Um, Tuesday, played with uh, Davis Love, David Duvall, and Luke List. Luke was an amateur at the time, and he and I were both staying in the the crow's nest. And so Luke and I – Luke was instrumental in putting that game together. We had a great time, and and, – um, Luke and I played against those two guys and, uh, they, they, they toyed with us kind of like a, a cat and a ball of yarn. Um, but, uh, it was really fun. Great story. If I've got a minute here on Duval and, and love, we stand up on the eighth tee and there's a crosswalk out there past the bunker, maybe three thirty, and love smokes one and gets it. To the card path, maybe just across, excuse me, the, the crosswalk, maybe just across it. And then um, Duval hits one hard. He was struggling at the time, but he, his ball made a different sound still. I mean, it was really something listening to him hit the golf ball. And he launches it out there. And Luke was at Vanderbilt as a junior or senior at this point. And he steps up and he flies the, the crosswalk by 20 yards. And um, Duval just looks over his eyes are like this and he looks over at Davis and he goes, fuck me. <laughs> and, and you could tell that, that they weren't, those are two guys who can hit it. And by the way, my ball didn't get to the cross, the uh, crosswalk. It was not even close. <laughs> I think I hit a, a toe hook out there about 265, but, um, it, to, that was a, one of the early peaks into guys who can really, really move it. Luke didn't swing hard, and he could fly it over 300 as, an, as a 20-year-old kid. And it was – I don't know if he was the beginning of that generation, uh, but he was, he was right there um, and is still is one of the longest players on tour and a great dude. Um, I, I played a decent amount of golf with him there and afterwards, um, and I always root for him. So that was Tuesday. Wednesday, I played um, had a pretty good group on Wednesday. Andy, you know, the whole week's a blur. I can't remember what days you were there. I was there Wednesday and Thursday. I remember Thursday, you being at the range. I couldn't remember whether you were there Wednesday. I missed Wednesday morning. Oh, that was kind of a big morning. Yeah, why, why don't you talk a little bit about that? So um, I'm at a cocktail party with my, my parents the night the night before. So Tuesday night, which is the, uh, the champion's dinner, I actually walked through the champion's dinner because there's no other way to get through. You either walk through the champion's locker room or through the champion's dinner to get out of the clubhouse from the crow's nest. And there was a guard by the champion's locker room, but there wasn't a guard by the champion's dinner. So I walk in and they're having their cocktail party. They haven't even sat down yet. And it was just surreal walking through that group of people as they're mingling with their drinks. And I, I took my time walking through there just to kind of take it all in. 
Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And so I go out to dinner and cocktail party with my parents and, uh, and my wife. And I say to my dad, hey, we know that Tiger plays first thing in the morning, every single practice round. Why don't we tr- get out to the range first thing and see if we can get paired up with them or get, get in the group? So I get out to the range. It's dark. They got the lights there. It's probably 730 in the morning. Sun comes up really late that time of year. And there's my dad with my golf bag, essentially in Marco Mira's pocket. He is standing there in Marco Mira's personal space. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess this is happening. Tiger's already hitting balls. And my dad's probably pissed because I'm not there yet. So he's trying to trying to uh, make sure he's well positioned. And I walk up to Omira and I say, hey, uh, if you guys have space, I'd love to be able to join you this morning. And Mark goes, yeah, I'd love to, but you got to talk to the big guy. So there's Tiger 20 feet away. And, and I go over and, and uh, wait for him to hit a couple balls. And he looks up. And I, and I introduce myself and, and uh, he gives me a big smile and says, oh, nice to meet you. Um, cool to have you here this week. And, and I said, well, if you, if you have any space in your group, I'd love to join you this morning. And he looks at me and he goes, we've already got three. And totally, <laughs> totally straight faced. And then you've seen the chicklets he's got. And suddenly he's just got this huge smile. And he looks at me and he goes, I'm just definitely with you. Let's go. And and so I went from probably looking like some guy who, who'd uh, been kicked to uh, to beaming from ear to ear. So there I am. We go we go around the clubhouse and and I go play. Uh, we played off the tenth hole. Played with uh, with Tiger and O'Meara and Charlie Howell. Uh, so that was that was pretty amazing. Um, we just played nine holes, um, but. I'll tell you, Marco Mera was one of the coolest guys going. He knew how much it would mean to me. And every time there was a joke, he put his arm around me, brought me in. Every time there was a conversation that he thought that I would be interested in, it wasn't like it was them just being their own guys. He knew how cool it would be for me to be involved. And it turns out Tiger and I had some, had some common interests. He was big into skiing at that point. Um, I think he was in, into everything that was bad for his needs. Uh, and so uh, we talked about skiing. We talked about uh, a few other things. His his relationship with his dad, he thought it was pretty special that I had my dad caddying for me. Um, so we, we had some good uh, conversations and it was a lot more warm and pleasant than I thought it might be playing with Tiger Woods. Because I'd heard rumors or, or stories that, you know, he was hard to get to um, crack or, or be in his... Um, is trust. So that was really, really amazing. That's I awesome. played in the, in the par three contest with, uh, with Lee Westwood and Darren Clark. They were, Oh man. Oh, so much fun. Darren, Darren had a caddy named Scotchy <laughs> and Scotchy hit on my wife the whole way around the par because <laughs> my wife caddied for me, uh, in the par three contest. And I swear he's trying to look down her caddy jumper. Um, and he's, he's hitting on her. And it was so much fun. And and Westwood and Clark are slamming coolers in each other's backswings, knocking over golf bags to try to try to uh, get each other off their game. I think I, I think I shot about forty five. Um, just I had so much fun. The people are standing on the edge of the greens, 
and you're sitting there, you're hitting nine iron or eight iron or wedge or whatever it is. And they're literally 12 feet from the pin um, on some of the holes standing right on the edge of the green. So it's a little nerve wracking. I rinsed a couple balls in, in the, uh, in the ponds down there, but man, what an experience. It was really cool. Um, so Ace, you're going to work up to what could be on the wicked awesome meter kind of off the charts when you make your way to number one the first day. Yeah, yeah. that's what yeah. I was waiting for. <laughs> yeah. Although, yeah. The, although the story so far just like in off Absolutely. the charts. Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, so I, we get our pairings on Tuesday. They, all, they come out every year, Tuesday afternoon. And, and I see that I'm paired with um, Todd Hamilton who won the, the British the year before, or excuse me, the Open the, the open year before, and, uh, and Gary Player. So that was, it was pretty amazing to have an opportunity to play with a legend like that. And uh, so we've got a rain delay that morning. I'm supposed to go off at 9.30, and I can't sleep anyway. So I'm up at, hell, I don't even know what time. Um, before, before it was light out, well before it was light out. And uh, we've got a rain delay. We don't actually go off till one in the afternoon. Andy was there that morning and it was, we had a lot of rain. Um, and so it's time to go to the tee. And uh, I get to the tee and you can imagine, I'm just nervous beyond belief. I'm so nervous that I can see my pulse in the corners of my eyes. I don't know if you've ever had that where maybe you overexert yourself or you're so nervous. I literally, I can't feel my hands and I'm flashing the, my, like my peripheral vision is flashing. It was nuts. And so now I got to try to get the ball airborne and, and I'm trying to be calm and cool. And, you know, here I am in front of how many thousand people. And, and then I hear this kind of a, a, a hush noise or hushing sound behind me and, and people are murmuring and and there's something happening behind me and I walk out uh, or I, I look behind me and and here comes Byron Nelson to the tee. Oh Byron Nelson has two canes and his beautiful wife Peggy. Um, I had been lucky enough to meet them both a couple times previously in the years before. Um, and he made his way out to the tee to watch me tee off. So now I'm even more freaking nervous. And he actually, I go over and shake Mr. Nelson's hand. And he says, now, Austin, I hope you had a good one here. Or something like that. I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was this gentlemanly thing like, now, Austin, give it your best. Or something like that. I wish I remembered exactly what he said, but it was, uh, it was just perfect Byron Nelson. And that made me more nervous. I managed to get it airborne. I hit a snap hook into the into the uh, left rough, and off we went. Um, I played really well, but you know, too much, too much of a uh, a crazy situation. Uh, I ended up shooting eighty one that day. Um, I was even par through eight, uh, oh. and on on the leaderboard or on the second page of the uh, on the TV telecast. And then um, we had a rain delay, and I I definitely went went sideways from there. But Andy can. Andy can vouch for me. I played hard and, and uh, handled myself okay. Was that player's yeah, remember. last Masters? Uh, and what's that? Was that player's last Masters? I think it might have been. I think he played in one more. That was Nicholas's last Masters. Okay. Okay. 
Oh, speaking of that, and I hope you don't mind my rambling. These are these are things that are just coming to my head. Um, so there's a there's a nice shot there, Bob. There you go. Um, so uh, I'm hitting practice putts on the ninth green, and this is with Love and Duvall and those guys. And I'm hitting practice putts, and and Davis goes, "Hey, you may want to pick those up." And I'm like, "Huh?" Because everybody been hitting practice putts all around all these greens. And he goes, you don't want to make them wait. And I look down to the fairway and the group behind us is Tom Watson and Jack Nicholas leaning on their golf bags, waiting for me to, to get the hell off. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, Davis, you're right. I do not want to make those guys wait. So that was uh, another surreal moment from that week. So um, because of the rain delays, I can tell people that I played on the weekend at the Masters. That's right. There you go. That's right. Yeah, we finished. We yeah, finished our second round on on Saturday morning, and then I went out and, and watched the event. But you know, whenever anybody says to me, "How how'd you do?" I'll say, "Yeah, I played on the weekend." And that's the that was the Tiger Demarco uh, playoff, right? Yeah, that's when Tiger had his the, the whole Vern Lundquist in your life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. He said, one of the years I was, I was following Gary Player, I was the head pro at one of the clubs he designed in Ocean City, and that photo on the wall is not me and Gary at Augusta like you, but um, I told him that some months later when I saw him, I said, I was watching you play the 14th hole. You hit it over the 14th hole, Gary. I was 10 feet away. You said to your caddy, I don't know what shot to hit. And I was half stunned and half relaxed and because – You've played as much golf as anybody in the world, one of the very top players. And I've told my amateur golfers the last two days, this is a true story, um, some of the members at my club, you're always learning. And these are new golfers, brand new golfers. And they're worried about learning everything in three weeks. And I, and I told them the story about Gary Player behind 14 at Augusta saying that it's caddy. I don't know what shot to play. I don't know how to play the shot. And I thought that was fascinating. And, you know, Andy touched on at the beginning. How did you go from being a really, really, you know, solid, very good player to making that corner? And is there anything you can leave our listeners with that helped you just make the corner? I mean, you talked about it a little bit, but sometimes it's a mindset. You mentioned about playing with better golfers. Uh, everybody's different, but if, if somebody's a twenty handicap playing in the fourth flight at um, Nashua, New Hampshire, you know, member guest. <laughs> Um, you know, how did, what did they, what, what did, what were you went through that could help them? I think one of the things that's a real key is having a go-to shot. Um, and so when you're under pressure or when things just aren't working, have a shot that you know, you can hit and don't try to hit a straight shot. Try to hit. I mean, if you're, if your go-to shot is a low draw, hit a low draw. If you're, if, you know, if you're five holes into a, an important round to you and nothing's gone right, don't try to do things that you know you can't or, or that, that don't try to do things that you're not sure you can do. Do something you're sure you can do. Hit a shot that you know that you've got. Uh, even if it doesn't fit that particular hole, hit the one you got. Excellent. Yeah. Well, this has been an awesome time to listen to your stories and and i will say this i've heard them all but i love hearing them i 
I love hearing them again. Because, yep. Seriously. I mean, I wish like I wish I had some new ones for you, Andy. I gotta I gotta uh, I gotta get the memory banks going. That's right. But thank but, you so uh, much for joining us. I mean, really, Brendan. Brendan, it's a pleasure meeting you, and I may want to talk to you at some point. I've got a I've got a junior golfer right here in my household, uh, freshman in high school, and I may want to pick your brain at some point on on uh, ways to get him to to uh, continue to improve. And and Bob, it's great seeing you. It's been a long time, and uh, yep. good to good to reconnect. Always good, yeah. It's been too long, guys. Absolutely. So now that we don't have our lead guy. Who wants to take us out? I'm going to let Andy take us out because this was your guest. This was your, come on. Oh, <laughs> are you kidding me? We're going to skip the 18th green part though. Okay. We're going to skip the 18th green and just tell everybody that, um, you know, thanks for listening. We are really lucky to have some great guests on and Austin's been a, yeah an incredible guest for us. And, and we have more cool guests coming up, um, you know, in the, in the coming weeks. So uh, thanks for listening. Keep listening more and uh, we'll see everybody next week. Thanks everybody. Have a good evening. Thanks guys. Thanks. A tradition like no other. You only have one opportunity to sell your golf property. Shouldn't you partner with an expert that offers you 30-plus years of golf industry experience combined with the reach of a global leader in real estate? Collier's International Golf Brokerage and Advisory Services understands your unique business needs. Whether it is brokerage, management, and consulting, be reassured that the market leader in the business of golf is providing you the real answers and practical solutions you deserve. Contact Golf Talk Live co-host and Collier's Golf Advisory Services member, Alan DePew, today at 717-554-8519. That's 717-554-8519.